All right. I think everybody's awake. I could tell that during the music. Everybody is like mentally present and ready to go. That's good. I know you see this up here. Yes, I'm going to draw again. All right. I got a really good response from the message last week and I drew. So I thought maybe that was the key. So we're just going to do it again. (laughs) What I'm not going to do this week, however, is a 10 minute football intro. That's my commitment to you. All right. So (laughs) it's not because I don't want to. It's because, uh, uh, oh, oh, I spit the marker last week, didn't I? Yeah, I'll try not to do that. No promises. All right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, the only reason I'm not going to do the football thing is because the Bills, Josh Allen's hurt. I don't know if he's going to play today, and I don't want to talk about it. So we're just going to move on. All right. All right. We are in the middle of a series where we're talking about the good news. Specifically, we are studying our way through Romans. And so if it's your first time with us... Uh, Super glad that you're here. And you can jump right in and you're going to, you know, you not miss anything. But I would highly recommend going back and listening to other messages in the series because it set a solid foundation for what the gospel or good news is. What is it and why is it necessary and how does it work? And so we've been spending several weeks now, I think this is week nine, believe it or not, of this series, week nine, and we spent eight weeks talking about what the gospel is, and now we're in Romans chapter five, which is, in my view, a hinge chapter. It's a turning point in the book of Romans. So chapters one through four are setting and establishing the gospel. Chapter five, uh, Paul starts to make the turn from what the gospel or good news is to what the gospel or good news does in our life right now. What does it mean for us every single day? How do we live in and walk in the gospel now that we've been justified, made right before God by faith in Jesus and faith alone in Jesus? What now? How does that knowledge change the way that I live right now? So Romans 5 is like a turning point. He's making, he's making a, a move here. And so he is, uh, he is going to begin making a comparison at the end of chapter 5 as he gets ready to go full bore on how, how the gospel transforms us every day. Um, he's going to make a contrast or draw a contrast between two very important people. He's going to use them as examples, and that is Adam and Jesus. Adam and Christ, and he's going to set up this contrast between these two men, and that's what we're going to be doing today, what we're going to be reading today. So it's Romans chapter 5. If you haven't already gotten there, go ahead and get there to Romans chapter 5, and we're dropping in sort of in the middle of it, starting in uh, verse 12. So he says, he begins and says, therefore, we're going to stop. We're not going to stop at every word, but we're going to stop at this word <laughs> for a second. And uh, often what we'll do is we'll read all the way through a long passage, and then we'll go back and break it down in pieces. We're not going to do that today. We're just going to work through it in pieces today. Um, and not one word at a time. But uh, it's kind of an old sort of uh, idiom or saying among pastors and churches. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to look to see what it's Yeah, nailed it. (laughs) Right. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to look to see what it's there for. So what he's, of course, referencing is what we talked about last week. So if you put your mind back in last week, we talked about the three things, right? How Paul said the three things three times in three different ways. The three things that that God, uh, we are justified by faith or made right through Christ's death. That God is now in the process of saving us from wrath, walking in grace every single day. And that was definitely the piece out of last week's message that got the most conversation. What does that mean to walk in grace? And then that when we do that, that gives us hope, right? That, that uh, tribulations create um, 
uh, tribulations create endurance, endurance creates character, and character produces hope. Those are the three things, and we talked about that last week. All right, so because of that, because we're justified by faith in Jesus, because God has his grace available to us to save us from wrath even now, and because we have the hope of his glory at the end of the road, because of that, uh, we need to understand what this means for us, how we walk in this grace, and how we do this every single day. Therefore, he said, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. All right, so he's setting up this, this contrast between Adam and Jesus, and he begins with Adam. Let's talk about Adam. What did Adam do? Adam was the, uh, think of it this way, um, Adam opened the front door to sin, and then sin and death came in and made themselves at home, <laughs> Because Adam opened the door, because he made the decision that he made, sin and death entered the world, and now everybody sins, everybody. Now, he's made that argument really, really strongly already at the beginning of Romans, so we don't need to rehash that at length, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All men are without excuse. I do think it's interesting. He decides to set up Adam. He says, uh, Adam made the decision, and so sin entered the world. You might remember from the timeline of things that Eve actually sinned first, not Adam, right? Yet, yet Adam here is the one who uh, Paul identifies as sin entering the world through. Now, why exactly? Partly because of his leadership and partly because he was the first man. And, and this is interesting in the timeline of things, the command, which is in um, Genesis chapter 2, let's read, let's read that. We're going to read a little bit from Genesis as well. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord, took, Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden of the garden you may freely eat, but the knowledge of the tree of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so God gives Adam this command. He says, this one tree, knowledge of good and evil, you, you are not supposed to eat of this. Now, that was for good reason because Adam only had the knowledge of good up until this point, And God did not want him to have the knowledge of evil. And so he was protecting him, gave him the rule to protect him. Um, but he gives him this rule. And if you look at the timeline of things, Eve has not been created yet. That's what happens next. So the, the rule, the command was given to Adam. Then God creates Eve. Now, Eve, of course, knew the command <laughs> because she is created, and then Satan comes to her and says, oh, why don't you eat from this tree? And she says, no, we're not supposed to do that. So she knew the rule, and he said, did God, Satan said, did God really say that? Did he really say you couldn't eat from that tree? She's like, yes, he did. <laughs> he said, oh, you know what? God isn't protecting you. God is just holding you back. God knows that if you eat from that tree, you're going to become like him, and he doesn't want you to be like him. And so Eve eats, and then she gives it to Adam, and he also eats. And they get exactly what he said. They now have the knowledge of both good and evil, which means that they've broken the rule, and sin has now entered the world, and with it, death. Uh, I think it's interesting, okay, so they, they make this decision, and instantly they're ashamed, and so they cover themselves, uh, which shows consciousness, it shows conscience, it shows an understanding of sinfulness, and then they try to hide from God, and of course you can't do that, in case you didn't know, they couldn't hide from him, and he finds them, and he challenges them on what they've done, and uh, on the exposing of their sin, 
God then curses Eve and curses the serpent and curses Adam. And this is the curse that he gives to Adam. To Adam, uh, verse, this is Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife, Huh? I lost my place. Sorry. Because you've heeded the voice <laughs> Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have heeded and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So because of his sin, you know, it's interesting. God said that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, Adam ate of the tree, and he didn't die right away. Well, at least not physically, right? When we say death or we think about death, we think about a physical reality. We think about a person's body dying. But death is a much bigger thing. It is a much bigger concept than that. When he said that you will surely die, now part of the curse is that to the ground he will return because he's dust. So yes, physical death is a part of the curse. But before that, there is an experience of death in life. It's an experience of destruction, of decay. And so Adam not only had the, the physical death, he also had the experiential death in his life, toiling with the ground. And then there is also a spiritual death that comes because of sin, the disconnection of our relationship with God. And so Adam was, spiritual, was disconnected from God spiritually because of that sin. And so all of us, because of Adam's sin, he opened the front door, but sin and death made its way into the house and made itself at home. And now every single one of us is born with this death, with sin and death, a sin nature. And we experience that in this life, the difficulty of life, the pain of life, the destruction and the decay of life. And so we're all facing that. But what we talked about last week is that we can have the spiritual death rectified through faith in Jesus Christ. So we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We are justified before God. And then God gives us grace, which we stand in now as he tries to save us from wrath here. So save us now from the experience of death here and now. All this difficulty, all this, decay, all this decay, all this destruction, he wants to save us from it. But Adam brought that in. And that was one of the big questions we had last week. I got, By the way, I got more response out of the message last week than maybe any message I've ever given from people. And so I know there was a lot of conversation about that. How do I do that? How do I walk? How do I stand in this grace? What does that mean for God to save me from the world around me? All right, so this reality uh, that what we're doing has come to all of us. And he said that came, it spread to all men because of Adam's sin. And so he's, um, he's setting up this contrast. Now, one of the, he, he, he takes a little side tangent here for a moment because one of the natural questions that someone might have is, well, okay, so obviously Adam sinned because he had a rule. God said, don't eat from this tree. He ate from this tree. But what about all the people between Adam and Moses who didn't have the rule? They didn't have, because the, the law didn't come until later, the, the, the official, you know, tangible law from God. That didn't come until later. So what about all those people in between? 
Like, did they sin? If they didn't have a rule, did they sin? That's a good question. And, and he feels the need, he needs to address that question and get that out of the way here before he keeps going with his comparison between um, Adam and Jesus. And he says this uh, in verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. So sin was in the world before the law. That's what he's saying. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. What's he saying by that? What does he mean sin's not imputed? Uh, what he means is this, the word imputed here that he uses is a commercial term. It means to, um, it means to itemize. So he's saying sin wasn't itemized before the law came, meaning there wasn't, you, there wasn't like a tally sheet. So it wasn't like, well, you broke this law, you broke this law, you broke this law, you broke this law, because the law wasn't in place. All right? So essentially what he's saying is you can't give a test score when there's no rubric, okay? when, when people don't know. All right, so they didn't have a law, so there wasn't like a list of sins that they had done, but that doesn't mean they didn't sin. They still sinned. They, they didn't need the rule book in order to sin against God. He made that point really clearly in Romans chapter 1, that, that nobody is, everybody is without excuse. So you just look at creation, you can see the imprint of God on all creation, and when you do wrong, you know you're doing, you know you're doing wrong against him. So we don't need the, the rule book, all right? Um, this is it. So what they didn't do, they didn't have um, a term we might use as transgressions. Transgressions uh, is when you think about trespassing. It's when you step somewhere you don't belong, right? You step somewhere you're not supposed to step. Um, but that, you don't necessarily need a rule in order to do that. Um, I remember when we were in college, my Jess, this is my wife Jess, for the you don't know, down here, down front. She was up here earlier. Uh, we got married right out of college. We went to Grove City College, which is um, western Pennsylvania, just north of, of Pittsburgh. And uh, at Grove City College, there was, aside from the chapel, of course, there was one sort of holy place on campus, and it was the quad, right? The quad. The quad was the center of campus. It was two large grassy areas with uh, sidewalks all the way around it and one sidewalk that ran down the middle. And the science building was at the top and the chapel was on the side and there were dorms to either side. And then the creek that runs through the college was down at the bottom. It was like, it was like sacred space in our school. And everybody knew that you did not walk on the quad. Right? You do not walk on the grass, which it had been perfect for football or for ultimate Frisbee or for picnics or whatever. But you did not walk on the quad. Everybody knew it was wrong and you didn't do it. And my goodness, if you saw somebody walking on the quad, you knew their time at that school was short. Right. <laughs> but the thing was, the thing was, there was no rule about walking on the quad. There was no express rule in the student handbook. There was, no, there was no consequence for walking on the quad. There were no signs around the quad that said, keep off the grass. There was nothing like that. There was no rule. So if you walked on the quad, they couldn't do anything. They weren't going to do anything. But everybody knew. Everybody knew it was wrong to walk on the quad, even though there wasn't a rule. We don't need rules to know what's right or wrong. We don't need rules to know what is honoring to God or not honoring to God. He's made that obvious to us. And so Paul has to make the, 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 the statement here, yes, Adam had a rule, and maybe the people before Moses didn't, but that doesn't mean that they didn't sin. And the fact that you saw sin, you saw death, you saw decay is evidence of the fact that they also sinned. So nobody is exempt from this. That's what he's getting at. He said, verse 14 
Uh, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. So no, they didn't break a rule like Adam did, but still you can see death reigned over them in that time. All right. And he says that Adam, uh, going on finishing verse 14, it was a type of him who was to come. Adam, he's, and who is to come, he's talking about Jesus. So he's saying Adam is a type of Christ, or a pattern of Christ, or a comparison or a contrast to Christ. Uh, there's an interesting parallel. He's setting up, uh, and I think it's important, he's not setting up a comparison between Jesus and Adam. It's a contrast. He wants to see this, the difference between the two, the black and the white between the two. Um, and so he says that uh, sin and death reigned under Adam. All right. So what I want to do as uh, we get ready uh, to look at this contrast that he's going to lay out in the next few verses, uh, we are going to put some things up here. Because I think that, that writing this and sort of organizing it visually is going to help. Because this passage that we're about to look at and read through, one of the commentators I read as I was studying for this message called this section um, dense and difficult. (laughs) And I thought, wow, if a Bible commentator who's an expert in this calls this section dense and difficult, I know it's going to be tough for me. And so I need some way to think about this and organize this visually. That's really helpful for me. So that's what we're going to do up here with the chart. And what he's, what he's going to say, what he's going to get at here is that just as the problem was created by one man, the solution comes through one man. Now, the uh, contrast. <laughs> I, <laughs> I still threw it. I didn't spit it out this week. But um, anyway, so what he's going to do is he's going to set up a contrast between. And if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. Um, and we'll actually leave it up on stage if anybody wants to come snap a picture and then probably post it on social media. That's what we did last week, so um, if you want to get this. But I got to tell you, when I do this, by the way, I'm always so nervous because my spelling isn't always the best, (laughs) and I'm worried that I'm going to spell something wrong or I'm going to get something out of order, so I try to uh, take my time with it. All right. So this is a comparison between Adam and... And Christ. All right. Um, in order to do this, we're going to jump into verse 15 and just kind of work our way down and, and fill things in as we go. All right. So, first, he says, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. So, Adam offended. Okay. So, I'm going to put offense here. Christ offered a free gift. So we're just keeping this organized. For, he keeps going, if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So because of Adam's offense, many, I'm going to space this out, many Thank you. I don't know. You're spell checking me now. That's great. I set you up to do that. I set you up. That's my own fault. I set you up to do that. All right. So because of Adam's offense, many experienced death. But because of Christ's free gift, 
many abound in grace. Okay? Uh, abounded, the grace abounded to many. Now verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Right? So you're saying there's not a comparison. That's not what I'm doing. I'm contrasting. They're not like each other. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Now, this is a verse which could be easily misunderstood based on the translation into English. Okay, Because these words condemnation and justification, that would naturally make us think of the term we would use, which is salvation, eternal salvation, heaven and hell. But that's not what Paul's saying here. So the word that he uses here for condemnation doesn't mean like eternal punishment. The word he uses for condemnation here means, means sin's control or slavery to sin. It's the control of sin and death in our life. So that's an important distinction to make. And then he says, um, uh, he said, for the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. We see ju the word justification. This is back in verse 16. Um, we see the word justification, and we think of what we've been talking about through this whole series. Justification is being made right before God. But Paul uses a different version of that word here, and it has the, the it says M-A-S at the end, mas at the end. And what it means is not righteousness before God. It means righteous action. Okay, so he's not talking about us being declared righteous before God. He's talking about us, about us acting righteously in life. So, so this verse is not about salvation. It's not about heaven and hell, eternal salvation. It's about sin's control of us now versus acting rightly and acting righteously now. So it's about now. It's not about, it's not about later. So, um, so the first piece is uh, the, the uh, offense resulted in condemnation, or in this case, Another way to say this would be sin's control. But the free gift helped allow people to uh, abound in grace and led to righteous action. Okay. Uh, that's I think that's an important distinction to make so we're not thinking about eternal heaven help because he's, this is the hinge, right? He's making a change. He's, he's changing from talking about eternal justification before God, and now he's talking about now, well, how we live now. All right, and then um, verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So because of Adam, because of many experienced death and sin's control, death reigns. But because of Christ's free gift, many abound in grace and leads to righteous action, and then righteousness reigns. And by the way, this chart, for those of you that are in groups during the week, this chart is going to be in your study guide in group, and you're going to talk through it, but we'll have it all written out for you there too, all right? And then verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, 
resulting in justification of life. And so death reigns, it leads to death sentence, and I mean that in terms of now, okay, living in death, uh, the reign of death now, and because of Christ's gift, it leads to life justification. For as, verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Many made sinners, many made righteous. So think about this verse. I feel like verses 15 through 19, if you just read through them, it feels, it's, it's dense and difficult. <laughs> it's, uh, what did we say? What's the word? Gobbledygook. <laughs> Gobbledygook. Which we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a whole thing this week where we were debating how to actually spell that word, gobbledygook, which is, it's weird. But anyway, uh, but the reason that I did this is because I, for me, when I was going through this verse, and it was dense and difficult to read through, and it felt like I was just bouncing here and there and all over the place, writing it out like this just helped to organize those thoughts and create those columns, and maybe that's helpful for you as you think about and process what this means. But the, what I think we need to focus on or think about as we look at this and we think about what Paul has said is that if I'm justified by faith in Jesus Christ, I know that I am I know I'm justified in front of him. I know I'm spending eternity with God. That's a done deal. I'm not worried about that anymore. But now that I know that, now I have a choice in what kind of life I'm going to live. Now I have a choice on whether I'm going to live in this pattern or whether I'm going to live in this pattern. And the results speak for themselves. All right. At home, I was going to bring these, and I just didn't have a great example to bring in. At home, we have a lot of tennis balls. Okay. Um, we didn't a while ago. Now we do. But we have a bunch of tennis balls. And some of those tennis balls are in the garage, and they stay in the, the bin of balls, and we use those to play tennis when we play tennis. And the other tennis balls are outside where the dog has them. And I've noticed something. I've noticed something about the tennis balls that are in the, the bin in the garage. They get used for their intended purpose, which is tennis. And the tennis balls that are outside with the dog that are being used for not their intended purpose. There is a striking difference in the condition of those two tennis balls. All right. The tennis balls that are being used for their intended purpose have a tendency to still be green, for example, and to still bounce and not have holes in them. But the tennis balls that live outside with the dog are a different shade altogether that is hard to describe. And many of them have been ripped in half because he's a big dog and he's a chewer. All right. There's a difference when, when you use something for its designed and intended purpose. There is a difference in how it wears over time and the condition of it over time. You were intended to live in this purpose. 
in the righteousness of God, in a relationship with him, following him and his commandments, loving him, serving him, living the way that the engineer designed you to live. But in sin, we live this way. So why are we surprised when the condition of our life looks like a tennis ball in my backyard, you know? Like if we want to live, if we want our life to look the way it's supposed to, now we, listen, we can't do anything about necessarily about the sin that exists around us. We can't, we, the, the penalty of death is still on us. We are still human beings. We will die physically. We still have sickness. We still have all of that stuff. We still have people that we have to deal with who don't give a rip about any of this, you know? And so we still have to live in and deal with that. But when we choose to live this way, when we choose to accept the free gift of Jesus where grace is abounding in our life, or we're choosing to live and act righteously, letting righteousness reign in our life so that we're alive, we're experiencing justification, change, and, and all that in our own life. And it serves the purpose of making us righteous, forming, molding us into the pattern of righteousness. What that looks like in our heart, in our mind, in our lifestyle is drastically different when this, than when this is raining. And so what happens in our life? In verse 20, uh, Paul says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So he says this over, this is, this is something, this is a drum that, that Paul just beats over and over and over again. He said one of the key purposes of the law is so people could see that they were sinful, so that their sin could be itemized, so that you couldn't, you couldn't uh, ignore the list and realize that you break the law over and over and over again. Moreover, the law entered that this, the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The words he uses here are really cool in Greek. Okay? What he says, when he says abounded, it actually means superabounded. Where sin superabounded, and then he says grace abounded much more, he uses the same word, but he puts hyper on the beginning of it. So he says, where sin superabounded, grace hyper superabounded. <laughs> I love it. It's such a cool word usage. Oh, man, Greek's cool. It is. Um, and it adds dimension. He's saying, he's saying, you think sin is powerful? You have no idea. You, you, think, you think sin can control you? Just wait and see what righteousness can do. Just wait and see. But you have to choose to follow the pattern of Christ rather than the pattern of Adam. You have to choose to, you have to, choose to let grace reign in your life instead of letting death reign in your life. And that's a choice. That's a choice when you get up tomorrow morning and you head to work or you get ready for school or when you get ready to visit your parents or when you whatever. That's a choice for you and for me. That's a choice when I sit down and I sit down with my calendar and plan out my week. That's a choice for me when I sit down with my budget and I figure out what we're going to do for the month. That's a choice when I think about my relationships that I have all around me and who I'm going to invest in and who's investing in me. That's a big choice. Every single time, this needs to create a framework for all of those things. And then he goes on. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so... Grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so the result of this. It's not because I threw the cap. <laughs> See if I can get some ink here. Sort of. 
death reigns. Grace reigns. Maybe it's appropriate that the, the pen didn't want to work for that one. Work great for that one. <laughs> so the, here's the question. This means that grace can reign in your life instead of death reigning in your life. And sin, sin does not have to reign in your life. That's a choice for you and for me. And you can experience life and peace instead of death and conflict. But it's a choice, so that's the question. And I'm, I'm just going to land with that. Which of these do you choose? Which of these do you choose? Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer now. With all this in heart, with all this in mind. And let's make, take, use this as a moment to make a personal, I'm going to be talking and I'll be praying on our behalf, but use this as a time for a personal commitment. For you to tell him which you choose. Which you choose. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you and we want you to know just how much we do love you and how thankful we are. Because without, without you, without the, the sacrifice of your son, without Jesus Christ, we'd be living on the left side of this chart. We would be doomed. We would have no hope. There would be nothing we could do about it. But in your grace, you showed mercy to us. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. And we are forever thankful to you for that. To do for us what we couldn't possibly do. He gave his life in our place. And that we, that we don't even have to work our way back to you. That we don't even have to be good enough. That we don't have to check off a list of things. But we simply have to put our faith in your son to be right before you. What an unbelievable gift. And God, we are so thankful to you for it. And I pray right now that if there's anybody with us who's never accepted that before, they do it now. They turn their trust from themselves to you. Put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. Knowing that not only did he die, but he rose again on the third day. In power. Proving to us, God, you prove to us that your promises are true, that you can do what you say you're going to do. And if you raise Jesus to life, I know you can raise me. And I know you can raise every person in this room. And God, we know that you're in the process, that, you, that you've not only saved us through Christ, but justified us before you in him. But you're in the process of saving us from the wrath and the sin and death of this world too. And we can't fully escape it because we still live here and it's all around us. But in the midst of this world, you want us to choose grace and to choose righteousness. You want us to walk in the pattern that you've created for us so that we can experience the life, at least in part now and in full later, experience the life you have created us for. A life where death does not reign, where sin does not reign. A life where we are fully connected to you in spirit and worship and love. And so, God, while we wade through this world here and we make the choice to live on that side of the chart, to live in the pattern and to live in the free gift of Jesus and to walk in that, we ask that you help us that you show us where we're not doing that, you show us how to do that in each of these areas of our life, that you, through the power and leadership of the Spirit in our life, help us to apply this and to walk in it. As we wade through everything that's going on here, 
But as we do that, as we keep our eyes up and forward on your glory that is coming, about our home that we have in heaven with you, as we look forward in the, in the, in the perfection of that, the perfect connection and love and freedom that we have there, and as we look forward to the return of Jesus and his kingdom being established here on earth and setting things right. So give us grace for today. Give us hope for tomorrow. And as we walk on this journey, remind us of where you brought us from, where you're taking us to, how you've transformed us to this point and how you're gonna transform us going forward. As we choose God and we choose right now that grace would reign in our life and that death would no longer reign. And so we say that before you today, God, and we offer that commitment to you as an expression of love and gratitude. And we ask that you keep us strong in it, to abound in it, to walk in it, and to rest in it. Our lives and all of this is yours. It's in your name we pray. Amen.